Digital. Student-centered. Creative. Innovation. Imagination. Initiative. Stories that matter. I'm Barbie Panther. And I'm Angela Isabel. And this is Tales of Teaching Online, brought to you by Deacon Learning Futures. Hi, Angela. How nice to have you with us today. Angela's a senior lecturer in chemistry here at Deakin University, and it's going to share some of her insights into some of the development she's been doing in a unit on Indigenous science. Hello, Angela. Hi, Barbie. How are you? Yeah, I'm well. Thanks for joining us today. Could you tell us a little bit about your unit that you've been working with your colleagues on? Absolutely, no problems, and thanks for the chance to talk about the unit. Um, I was recently involved in um, building a new Indigenous science unit, which, of course, we didn't know was going to be online initially, but has now moved online for two semesters. Um, I guess, firstly, it might really help if we start with what Indigenous science is for us in this unit. Um, And it's really, it's, It's a difficult question and so that's why I want to start with it because it's not we're not even sure it's the right term for the subject because um, the uh, Indigenous traditions all over the world um, deal with knowledge about the world that we live in and how we live in it and how we interact with it very differently to what we call science. but it is essentially the Indigenous equivalent to all our science concepts. And we're not saying they're one and the same, that Indigenous science is the same as Western science. They're very different. Um, It's just the best phrase that we could think of at the time. Um, And this conversation goes on and continues in depth in many, many places. Um, So the subject is built around the idea that first we need to teach people Um, a really deep understanding of cultural competence so they can navigate this space easily. And we do that by helping people understand um, what a culture is, what their culture is, um, and and how it may have changed their interaction with the world, their understanding of the world even. Now, how do we do this within science, you ask? Um, Well, it's, it's not necessarily a traditional start to a science unit. But we we weave the science through it. So we weave through things like um, how Birkenwalls would have survived if they were culturally a bit more competent and they would have understood and valued what knowledge the Indigenous people that they could have been travelling with, for instance, the guides that some people hired, which people commonly hired and they didn't in that case, um, what they would have gained from having those people with them to keep them safe and to explain to them what they could eat and not eat. And if you look up how Birkenwalls died, um, there's some great chemistry and some great biology involved. And we do things like um, look at the genetics of the assumptions people have made that are race-based in the past and how science and has been uh, informed in that space and, and understand some of these cultural aspects of science that we don't really think of, but they're still there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we probably don't talk about those enough. No, no, I don't. I don't think we do. So there's element of um, history too that runs through this start of the unit. So the first two weeks of that backgrounding, um, and we give students a huge um, array of resources that are really high quality. For example, um, the first Australian series. I highly recommend anybody watch that. And you know what? If you haven't watched it, maybe since you watched it in high school or even in the last five or six years, I think just revisit it because it's really 
um, it's a really great program um, and share it with your family and friends if you've got anyone who you think will be interested. Um, but we've constructed a, a set of activities for the students to go through so they can consider all these issues that in, informed um, Indigenous history in Australia. Um, we don't generally touch on Indigenous issues in other countries. Um, it's, it's mostly just Australia, but of course there are um, mirrored and reflected examples from all over the world. So as a non-Indigenous person yourself, how did you go about developing a unit such as, a, such as this one? Yeah, I mean, the, first, the first is very carefully and very respectfully. Um, and the, the idea that I always keep in mind is the phrase, nothing about us without us. And this is a really important concept. And, of course, it does not just... Um, apply to Indigenous issues that involves any, any individual group. Um, so we worked very closely with the um, Central Indigenous Engagement Group and right from the start, before we even proposed that there would be a unit, it's a matter of going and seeing if this is a valid idea in the minds of people who are, um, you know, experts in this space um, and, and have that position in the university to decide if you move forward in, with something like that. Um, obviously get all the help you can get. Um, you should ensure that your train your staff have all the training that your institute could possibly provide them and probably more. Um, I myself did the Cultural Competency Centre of Australia training. They have a few different training. I highly recommend them. They're not particularly expensive and it's just an online training you do over up to six months. Um, and I think that reaching out to external experts is really important too. And this is all, you know, you don't even have an idea of exactly what you want to do at this point because there's no point having a, a plan of what you should do if you're not properly informed by all the important stakeholders. And you're not an important stakeholder in this um, conversation as a non-Indigenous academic. Um, I made it a rule that we have an Indigenous voice in the room at all times. I think there's several people who would have liked in terms of budget to not have that be the case. Uh, it meant hiring TAs for each classroom, even if it was a relatively small group. Um, but for me, that was just a not negotiable. Um, I wouldn't have been moving forward with the class. Um, I think, and, and this is a very um, broad sweeping kind of observation that the differences, once, you, once you're learning about the differences in the two approaches to science and, and to some extent life and knowledge, then you've got to deconstruct your science specialties a little bit. So you're not, you're not looking at biology and you're not looking at chemistry. You might be looking at something that might translate more to ecology, for example, but you, what you're really looking at is how plants and animals interact with the landscape. Um, so we arrange things around those sort of concepts um, and, and that felt like it fitted a lot better because language is 
pretty important here and we don't want to just keep putting the Western labels on it. We were obviously speaking in English, we're teaching in English, so those English words remain, but we don't have to have it codified in terms of that strict separation and regiment of um, traditional Western science labels. Yeah, I think that's a... That's a really good point. I know when when I was working with um, some Indigenous partners in in developing curriculum, you know, what I ended up with at the end was totally different to what I thought I was going to end up with um, at the beginning. Once I started to have those conversations and and started to open my mind to new ways to think about knowledge and new ways to think about sharing knowledge, um, you know, it became a totally different thing. You know, how did you find that experience in terms of what you thought you were going to develop and what you ended up with at the end? Yeah, um, I, I guess there's one really big advantage of starting with a total blank slate um, is that we didn't really have any idea what we were starting with. And one of the first things we did was get Jade Kennedy down from University of Wollongong um, and, you know, he just laid down all of, the general concepts he could think that we would have the time to take up <laughs> into our brains in the day and a half we had to, to talk to him um, and just really briefly discuss through where that concept could be taken up. Now, in one iteration of the class, there's many things that I don't think we did as we should have done. Um, if you look at Jade has... Um, a teaching in engineering um, publication that you can check out and it has a really good um, kinship, country, journey. I'm not going to be able to remember all of them. There's five touchstones. Now, we really wanted to be able to get the students to touch on these five touchstones repeatedly as we went through the unit. But first time round, we were not able to embed that into the unit properly. Um, the other thing was using more Indigenous pedagogy. Um, so this is partly answering your question. I guess I've skipped ahead to that. It still doesn't look like what I want it to look like um, because you are going to have to take this slow, right? You are not. There's no big grand plan and then going forward because if you've got a grand plan as a non-Indigenous academic that you're trying to put forward, you're not informed by anyone um, yet. And, and so it's simply not going to be right, I guess, unless you've done it before, unless you've already been informed by all those voices. Um, and then as any person who's delivered a new class knows that it's still not how you want it to be the first or potentially even the, the second time. So the other issue was around um, Indigenous pedagogy, which we we look to embed by doing yarning circles mm-hmm. as one of the things. Um, and while it might sound a little odd, I think it worked in terms of, um, and not the yarning circles sound odd, we actually delivered them as a de-identified yarning circle essentially right at the start we wanted to have students doing all the steps and getting all the benefits but not coming in with any preconceptions about I'm doing this because it's a novelty or whatever we just wanted to embed it as part of the class Um, and I think that worked fairly well 
the issue was that online we couldn't be in all of the groups at once and ensure that they were um, taking this quite different approach to discussion groups. It's a very linear approach that people don't jump in over each other like students are used to doing. And that was very hard to get students to realise that this is something separate. You're not meant to be doing what you usually do. It was hard to break that habit. I think you have to be in the classroom with them to get that one nailed down. Mm. So I suppose, you know, moving this online unexpectedly due to COVID would have had its um, challenges. You know, what, what sort of changes did you have to make? Um, well, we had to um, get rid of our field trip, so that was pretty tragic, mm. um, but as, as did everyone else essentially. So um, we had some activities Planned because we were going to be in a classroom that was in some sort of revegetated forest with a, a small a pond or a small lake. And so we were going to be able to go outdoors and actually set up equipment or testing, um, treat samples, things like that. We weren't able to do any of that. So in that, that really would have increased the uh, enjoyment of the unit and the engagement of the unit and we we did lose that but realistically especially with such a small cohort online we did see a very high uh, amount of engagement um and even with all those little first time round issues which are i mean they're usually pretty rampant um definitely um plenty of issues um, the students still really enjoyed it and they're still really very engaged. Um, I should, of course, um, caveat that with the fact that when you get a small cohort, there's, they are students who really want to do the year. When I say small cohort, we had 50 people in for the first time. Um, we deliberately capped it and I would suggest that very strongly. Even capping it at 50 for the first time potentially would have been a problem if we were in person just to be able to, you know, wrangle all the conversations and so on um but I think online it was a little bit easier to manage you still had all the normal disadvantages of being online but it does scale a little bit easier you do have someone in the background answering the chat questions still and things like that um so I think I think they're the main main things that we had to give up I was really surprised actually at how well the cultural competency section the first two weeks went because we essentially took our staff training and adapted it to students and then further adapted it to science students um we really I thought it was going to go fine but I was very glad that it went very well and it was very well received and a part of that was the fact that we had um a young Yorio man, Joseph Tai, deliver it, who's part of William Cooper Institute. He delivered it very well. He's um, very experienced in this sort of space. And I think they just love hearing directly um, from somebody and they can ask directly about his perspectives and get that insight. And obviously he took time to explain, well, this is my insight. It's not the insight of every Aboriginal man, not even every Yorio Yorta man. Um, but the students really appreciate guests in general. And I think in this space, they just feel all the more privileged for having spoken directly 
to to somebody that knows about this space they're so interested in. So in terms of assessment then, how do you how do you assess a unit like this? <laughs> um, I'm a really big fan of pre-workshop quiz um, in order to make sure the students have gone through the material that you're putting in front of them and to show them that you value their going through that material, that it is actually integral to them progressing in the unit. Um, so we we had a little bit of, uh, we had marks set aside for that, not a large amount, maybe 15% or 14% for the whole semester. We had double the amount for the cultural competency months because I just wanted to really highlight how important that was. And it was early in the semester and there was a very large amount of material so I really wanted to highlight that you are actually doing heaps of work early on and this is valued. Here you go. Um, the other thing we did that's very, very important is reflection. Within those quizzes, we'd actually done a mix of assessed and non-assessed things because there were spaces where we just wanted students to think about things essentially out loud but on paper. Uh, and they're not necessarily, well, they can't be marked even. So we're just giving them that sort of in-time learning and reflecting space in the quiz and we're teaching them about reflecting too. And then they come out and they do official separate reflection. And there was a couple of small ones and then a bigger one at the end. I think they're really important, but with students, for instance, science students which haven't been exposed, who haven't been exposed to reflection before or not likely to have, you have to teach it to and that has to be formally in the syllabus that's really important um, there was also some more content based a group assignment and then an individual assignment they this was a second year unit so to support them we did the group assignment first um, and it was a video but it had the same structure in the um, task and the rubric to bring together um, the, the same concept from a Western perspective and an Indigenous perspective. It was to be a challenge essentially for science and then the students were to synthesise what could be solutions of using the two together or um, the Indigenous approach might actually supplant the Western approach. Um, so that they did that together as a video, for, as a bit more peer support and then they were sent off in the last half of the semester to do a similar thing but to write it up themselves um, and in that we expressly we expressly have sections to make sure they use respectful language um, we're not judging their ideas so much I mean something that's factually wrong will obviously not get full marks but if they have an idea and you know they've just spent a little bit of time on the issue it's not fully informed but it's a very complex idea they're not going to lose marks for not fully getting on top of the idea. They're going to be pointed in the right direction, but if they're using disrespectful language or they're not um, using terms correctly, then, you know, they, they will lose marks for that. And I think that's incredibly important because the one thing I spent all semester doing was informing people that they had to use a capital I for Indigenous. And it's expressly taught in the first week um, and it was continually not done. Mm. Um, so, so those are the sort of assessments we did, and I think the reflection is hugely important. But the student feedback also said that that was hugely important. 
Yeah, I, I think that's beautiful. Getting science students to to be reflective. It's it's. I know as a scientist, I find it very challenging myself. Yeah. So just if if you're thinking, you know, over the whole experience that you've had here, do you have a sort of a takeaway or a or a um, you know, overall thought that about? Yeah. I mean, I guess um, my my general message coming out the other end is it can be done (laughs) Um, especially you know that um, use of cultural competency training in a science subject is not particularly common I know I do know other people doing it at the moment Um, there's several groups taking this approach um, because you know theory says that this is how you do it it's informed with theory Um, yeah, I think I think just that idea that it can actually be done and it will work and the fact that it was online, it didn't have any inherent problems that were additional to all the inherent problems we already have teaching online. So it will work. It can work and, and the students can get a lot out of it. Um, like I said earlier, just be, even though there was all those bugs that you, you know, typos do fine because it's the first time around you know the software doesn't quite work because you set it up the wrong way in the peer review whatever all those things were forgiven because um they were learning and they were really understanding and they were really really surprised by what they were learning um so I think that's and in terms of sort of some golden rules always have Indigenous voices live in your classroom if you happen to have a week where you've got a pre-recorded guest or something like that. It might be different. You might not have someone live in the classroom that week. But then what's the discussion going to be like after you finish that recording? They can't ask that person any questions. You can't answer for them. So I think I think the idea that you have somebody, an Indigenous voice live in the classroom at, at all times is really, really key. Um, and coming back to the... Um, nothing about us without us, which applies to so many groups, but, you know, couldn't be truer here. And we do need to encourage our institutions to hire more Indigenous staff into flexible positions. We need to understand and respect um, the knowledges that they bring in that aren't of the academy. They're of a different academy. Um, and, And that life experience as well, because you cannot expect every Indigenous academic to come in looking like every white academic. It's just not going to happen. Um, And we need really valuable, insightful staff that aren't necessarily going to look like the last person you hired. Yeah, that's fantastic. Angela, it's been absolutely wonderful talking to you today and congratulations on this unit. And um, I believe that it's become very more popular with the students and there's a waiting list to get in, which is it is incredibly popular, uh, pretty much doubled in size going to the second year um, and with students even inquiring as to be on the wait list for a year or so. <laughs> so <laughs> we, we haven't constructed that wait list um, and Andrew Giles has taken over the unit now um, and he seems to be doing an amazing job. Um, he is one of our former tutors and is a Nirangiri man who's been at Monash for quite a while, brings lots of institutional knowledge and cultural knowledge, which is fabulous, and I think he's enjoying getting to know the students and better. I'd also like to really thank all the staff that were involved in putting together the Indigenous unit. 
Um, I've mentioned how important the staff from the William Cooper Institute were. That's the um, Indigenous Engagement uh, Institute at Monash. Um, so that was uh, Jamil Tai and Joseph Tai, uh, but also um, peeps, more senior people like John Page just and, and Jacinta Elston, just to have additional support, ideas to um, be able to bounce around um, at all different processes of the 18-month process. Um, for the staff that actually taught on the unit, Joseph Tai also taught on the unit and he did the cultural competency section, which was amazing. And, and that is a resource that's um, irreplaceable if you have someone that can do that section well and start the unit off well. Um, the staff that taught on the unit, Dave Turner, Nigel um, Tapper, um, Jess Walsh in the more biological section, and I'm, well, I mentioned the students earlier and I feel like I'm forgetting one more person. Oh, Yasmina, um, who taught in the astrophysics section and has uh, left the unit now. So um, thank you so much for the effort that they put in too. Thank you so much. And thank you for sharing your insights today about um, this journey that you've taken on this unit. Thanks very much. No problems, Bobby. Thanks a lot for inviting me. Nice chatting.